Hey, this is Mike Bob, and I'm a guy who used to make things, and sometimes I still do. These days, I prefer making podcasts, and I have a new one called Soundtrack to My Life. On this podcast, I talk to different creative people about the music that shaped them. Sometimes the conversations are funny, and sometimes they're just kind of sweet. I love that Pina Colada song. Yeah, I do. Rihanna has had a huge impact on my songwriting. I'm diving into the ocean, finding that one fish that has the toxins, and I'm just drinking those toxins all day. Maybe they're saying, like, you should now go forth and rock. It's like a peace be with you situation. I also have a playlist called F Jams. One and two. <laughs> Just in case. We dance to a jazz version of my favorite things. Soundtrack to my life. It's available exclusive on Spotify. It's a exclusive. I'm going to try to make that word take off. It's a music plus talk show, meaning I can play songs in their entirety. So think of this as an interactive playlist with some of the coolest creative people I know. And you should know, too. Soundtrack to my life. A Spotify exclusive. Hi, I'm Mike Bobbitt. I am a lot of things. I'm a comedian, I'm a podcaster, I'm a writer, an actor, and a storyteller. But most of all, I'm a dad now. Movies were an important part of my childhood, and I'm hoping they'll be an important part of my kids' childhood, too. So through this podcast, I talk to my friends about movies that were important to them when they grew up, and I also talk to my friends who are parents about their experiences introducing their own kids to movies. This is Movies for Kids. Sometimes I wonder if I'll ever grow up. Sometimes I wonder if I know it's me. I know it's me. This week I'm talking to my friend Laurel Dros. You married my buddy Andy. I did. A long time ago. A long time ago, yes. I've known you guys, well, I've known you since you first started dating him. I was managing a comic book store, and I remember the first time he brought you around, and I saw just how completely happy he was. And then when you turned out to be super cool, too... It made me really happy. Super cool is generous. But yes, um, I've been with him since I was 17 and now I'm 38. So it's been a minute. Yeah. You are so humble too. (laughs) While you are one of the best moms I think I've ever met in my entire life. That's very generous. You are the worst person at taking a compliment that I've ever met. (laughs) Well, Not um, not one of the worst. You are by far the worst (laughs) at taking a compliment. I think that most people that I consider good parents, and if I'm a good parent, it's true of me too, um, you always feel like you're kind of messing it up. It's the ones that are really awful parents that are like completely confident (laughs) in what they're doing. Yep. (laughs) So if you feel like you're doing it wrong, you're actually putting enough thought into it that you're probably doing something right. I initially started to do this podcast with the premise of how am I going to force the movies I love onto Benji and... I started to realize that to be a good parent doesn't mean forcing my likes onto him. It's learning how to be present in the things that he likes and nurture his interests and not try to force my own onto him. We have this vision of our kids kind of getting a a second chance at the childhood that we wish we had. And it turns out they don't always want to live that childhood. So it can be frustrating because you're like, no, man, I wanted to see this movie when I was your age. My parents wouldn't let me. So how come you don't care about it? 
So there's these things like we have our ideas of what it's going to be like to show them these films that mean so much to us. And it doesn't always end up meaning anything at all to them. And that's one of the big difficult things as a parent, because movies are important to us, you know, they're the stories of our people. Yeah, like, because I look at things, I think, sometimes backwards. I look at the fact that you and your daughter, Kat, do theater together. And I'm like, oh, that's cool. That's a thing that you guys can share. And then I kind of started reverse engineering it and realized, well, I've known you for 21 years. And it's not like I've known of you doing theater before now. So it at least maybe seems to me now like, oh, you're doing this because you're kind of helping her interests and, you know, joining her and her passions. And it's not necessarily very much. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not something that a lot of people actually that have met me in the last four or five years really know about me. They just assume that I'm like a huge into theater kind of person. I'm like, no, that's the area she grew into. And in order to nurture that and support that, I started saying like, well, how can we connect on this? What parts of this can we share in common? And so we started finding, you know, things within that. Those are like the threads that kind of tether you together. It's hard when they get older sometimes. And it, if you can find things like movies and theater and books, it creates a common language you can keep coming back to again and again and again. And it's really important. I mean, it's one of the things, you know, like when we share these movies with them that are kind of fundamental movies, like when you show Benji Star Wars one day, it won't just be showing them a movie. It'll be giving them this language to talk to you through for the rest of their lives. And it's important. Movies matter so much more than just what they are. It's what they become. Yeah, it's less about the movie and more about the experience. Yeah, exactly. And that's where it gets complicated, too, because we start wanting our impression and our experience with that movie to be their experience, too. Like, I love this so much. You better love it, too. And it's hard on those times when they don't. Like, for me, one of the big important movies to me growing up was the movie Princess Bride. And I saw it on my seventh birthday. And I still remember that, like, a billion years later. It was a huge thing to me. Still one of my favorite movies. When Andy and I got married, I walked down the aisle to the song from The Princess Bride. Um, And so I had them watch that on Mother's Day just this year. And I was like, you guys, I've been waiting for this one. Huge, important milestone movie. And they're both like, oh, yeah, it's fine. Like, how do you? (laughs) And I could tell that they were just being nice. It wasn't that they hated it. They just, it did not connect to them in a way like, They're not going to get married to that song. Right. So there are these expectations of this is what it's going to be. And then sometimes those are not the things you connect on. So you have to find like, okay, where do we connect? Is that a lesson you learn quickly or along the way? I think it's one that we all learn a little bit along the way. And it's something that you keep relearning because you're like, oh, you just didn't like it because you weren't old enough. (laughs) But then, you know, you rewatch it and you're like, oh, no, you really you really don't like this. This is crazy. How did I make someone that isn't absolutely enthralled with this story? And part of it is just, you know, you don't realize how much things have changed until sometimes it kind of slaps you in the face. Like um, one we grew up watching was Goonies. And I went to show my kids Goonies when they were little. And I was like, Goonies is super dark. (laughs) And I forgot that. Yeah, there's a lot of casual swearing. And yeah, Goonies really pushed that PG-13 rating. We kind of whitewash these memories, you know, so they're much more wholesome than when you actually watch them. You're like, my parents watch this. We we sat on a couch and watched this together. That must have been so awkward for them. Yeah. How do they feel about Labyrinth? Jim Henson in general is just one of those 
pillars of humanity to me. So that was one of those really important things. And neither of them really attached much to Labyrinth. They don't dislike it. And sometimes they will still ask to listen to the soundtrack, but they don't have that deep affinity for that kind of high fantasy like I did. And I've met tons of people that don't connect with that one, though. So that one seems less odd to me. Like, I feel like Princess Bride is a universal. Like, most people that are cool, you can kind of trust, will at least have a, a vague appreciation for that film. Labyrinth, I've met a lot of adults that are like, nah, that was weird. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, so they were okay on it. They actually more enjoyed when uh, Netflix redid the Dark Crystal when they did, like, an extension of that story. Yeah. They were able to get more into that. Okay. Yeah, that was another one of those ones. I mean, Andy's not super into Labyrinth either. He was more into the Dark Crystal than Labyrinth. So that's kind of just me alone on my island. Well, I think Andy doesn't want you to know just how much he likes David Bowie. (laughs) Well, he should tell me because we share that. Specifically David Bowie in that costume. Yeah, yeah. Who doesn't love that? Seeing Labyrinth at the Redford Theater was... A pretty monumental experience for me because it was right after Allison and I moved back to Michigan and I was very depressed and everything felt very different and it didn't feel like home. The Redford Theater is this old historic theater and there were people dressed up in costume and there was one person dressed up as the Goblin King that everyone was going crazy about wanting to get their picture taken with them. And then the Goblin King turned to me and was like, Mike! And it was you. (laughs) It was me. At that moment, it made me kind of feel like, no, I I am back home again. And I I don't know if I've ever really been able to express how much that moment meant to me, but it really meant a lot to me. I remember I came home and told Andy about that. I said, I was worried about you. I've never seen him look that sad. So I'm glad that I was there. Because it was just one of those things where it was just a very connecting human moment, um, even though it was dressed up in cosplay. <laughs> so yeah. Magnificent cosplay. Yeah, I worked for a long time on that. And actually like that, when I think about movies with my kids, the pageantry of movies is a huge part of that connection where we don't just watch these movies with them. They become like a experience you know like we'll make up snacks that are themed around those movies i'll add a painting we have this wall of geek that we have that like if there's some big series we're going through together as a family like lord of the rings or the harry potter films or star wars of course then i'll add something once we've watched them i'll add a painting to the wall to kind of commemorate like we've done this together we dress up in costumes and go to comic cons so you do a a big oscar party too and you post that yes um, we've stopped doing those the last couple of years but that was that was like the gateway into all of that for me when i think about like the pageantry of that it was just showing that you can celebrate these things in all different ways it doesn't have to be like a thing on the calendar that says you make a big deal about what you're excited about you can make anything into a big deal if you're excited about it and letting kids get really excited about those things you know like we dress up to go see movies yeah. You know, wear costumes and stuff. Even if nobody else does, it's okay to teach them, like, put yourself out there and really lean into the things that make you excited. What's been the biggest surprise for you about being a parent? Everything. One of the things, definitely as a new parent, it's good to hear, is everybody tells you, oh, just wait, it gets harder. It just keeps getting harder. And I don't find that to be true at all. For me, it was really hard at first, but then they grow up to be these people. They're 
genuinely wonderful people to hang out with. I think of them as like, I grew my own friends, you know, and you can't just be friends with your kids. You have to parent them too. And sometimes that means making hard choices. I think just the level of being able to really connect with them as other really enjoyable human beings has been surprising because I thought it would be so much more difficult all the time based on the way people kept saying like, oh God, wait till they're in middle school. I'm like, no, I my daughter's in middle school and it's, you know, we're the closest we've ever been. I'm able to watch things with her and appreciate them on a different level if we're putting it in the scope of movies. So that part of it still surprises me is how much I genuinely like them as people, aside from just loving them as my kids. You have to recognize, even if you won't take it as a compliment that you are one of the best moms ever, you have to at least recognize <laughs> that you have two very exceptional kids. I, I definitely recognize that I have exceptional kids, but I don't credit myself fully with I think Andy and I are really good balance on parenting, especially like you can see that with movies where I tend to be like, oh, the, the minute they're old enough to watch, they're old enough to see it. And he's much more conservative on things where he's like, no, wait till they can actually understand it and might appreciate it. Being like a yin and yang like that, we're kind of finding the balance of what is a good time to introduce this thing? Just because we're excited about it doesn't mean that, you know, when they're five years old, we should sit down and watch Predator with them because we're not Sam's dad, you know. <laughs> yeah. One of my favorite things about seeing some of my friends as parents now, like seeing Andy and Dennis and my friend Jeff, you don't know Jeff, but you know Dennis, and mm -hmm. just seeing how they are as parents in addition to how they are as my friends. And I really, really love seeing that other side of them. It is cool and awesome to see because they, they make us grow in these ways that, you know, it's great to see your friends become more rounded people and kids bring that out in us. They really add depth to our humanity. And and that's a good thing to see in your friends and to see how they'll connect to people that are not always very much like them, but still very connected to them, you know, especially when your kids grow up to be into things that are nothing like you. Right. How do you bridge those things and, and stay connected? That's always a really interesting challenge as a parent. So like if Benji grows up to reject Star Wars, then what? When we showed Kat Star Wars, one of her favorite characters was Jar Jar Banks, and we just kind of sat there in horror like, what? <laughs> and looking back at it now, Kat is someone that really supports an underdog, and she knew that this was this character that was mocked and everybody hated together, and so of course that's the person that she'd be protective of, like, no, this is cool. This yeah. guy right here is cool. It was just one of those moments where like, that is not acceptable. <laughs> like, that is, no, no, don't like him. And out of all of Star Wars, that's what she glommed on to hardest, was, you know, Jar Jar Banks. <laughs> it's yeah. like, oh. So even if they like the things you like, they may not dislike the aspects of it that you dislike. I like that she is ingrained in rooting for the underdog. I, I think that's a wonderful quality to have. It is, even if it's against what your family has taught you. You know, like even the expectations <laughs> of your parents. But that's important is to be able to have your own opinion and stand up. Like if all three of us are saying, no, this character sucks. And for her to go, no, he's cute. Yeah. I mean, that's there, there's a backbone to that that will do well for her eventually when, you know, people are pressuring her into other things to hate. You yeah, know? absolutely. Or into things to try or, or do that necessarily aren't good you know yeah. the fact that she isn't afraid to go against the status quo yeah and that's the thing i think parents are so concerned with it feels like rejection if your kids tell you no or stand up to you and in fact that's a really good thing because you're their primary authority figures for so many years and for them to be able to believe in something deeply enough and reason through it and say even though i love you and i know it will upset you and potentially get me in trouble for feeling differently i feel differently 
that's a really good thing for them to establish. So wow. even yeah. that dialogue within movies is something important that I saw. Cause it was, I mean, we've talked about, you know, there may be times when there is somebody that everybody else tells you is bad, but your instinct says to protect them. Then you should listen to the instinct, even if it's your friends or family or whatever else telling you that, you know, you have to be able to trust yourself and through even these odd characters in movies, you can teach them those things like, okay, we are not charge our people, but you know what? He, he's kind of grown on me since that because mm-hmm. I see that vulnerability with her with it. So, you know, they make you see things differently, too. That's so huge. The notion of it being a positive to have your kids disagree with you about things because it is getting them to think for themselves because then you don't have to worry about them hanging out with a bunch of people saying, hey, try drugs. Oh, wow. I feel like you just laid like a giant truth bomb on me. (laughs) And uh, that's the big takeaway that I have from this episode. It's important not to teach obedience, but logic, you know? Um, And so if there's something that's a rule, and I've always tried to be really honest with my kids, like when they say, when I get shots, will this hurt? And yeah, yep, absolutely. It's going to hurt. That way, you know that if I tell you something won't hurt, it really won't hurt. You know, that way, if I tell you like heroin is bad, you'll understand like, no, that one's really bad because she was honest about everything else. So I think that it's good to give kids the flexibility to stand up to you and at least argue their point. I'm not saying like you definitely still have to be the parent and that can be hard. And movies are such a safe space to do that and where they can argue like, no, I interpreted this this way. And even if you all feel differently about it, that's a really safe space within a family to create that dialogue. And it's a really important dialogue. They need to understand that just because someone is older than them or in a position of authority does not mean that they are right. It's something that we, um, we try to reinforce, you know, like it's, it's okay to see things completely differently than other people are seeing them, even if they're people that are arbitrarily kind of in charge of you. Yeah. Wow. God, you're, you're so smart. <laughs> <laughs> what entertainment are they gravitating towards? I know it might not necessarily be movies anymore. My son is really into video games. Okay, that's what DJ said, that kids are probably, video games are probably the big thing to kids now, like movies were to me growing up. There's a level of community to it that I think we've had with movies where we could all discuss them. You know, as kids, you'd go see them together, discuss them after. With video games, they can put on their little headsets and interact and communicate throughout, like as they're building in Minecraft or whatever. So mm-hmm. I get that for, for Josh because he's more of an introverted kid, but also still really social. So it's kind of a, a introvert social dream, you know, to be able to be like, I'm not really with you, but I can still talk to you. Yeah. That's... I think where he most expresses himself. He mentioned like right before I got on the phone with you that his favorite movie is still Wally from years and years and years ago. Yeah. And I always thought that was such a, for anyone that hasn't met my son, that's a very appropriate movie for him. It's this kind of quiet and persistently kind little guy going through taking care of his friends. And, you know, it's, that was one of his first favorite movies and it remains you know he still has this deep affection for wally and his favorite tv show is stranger things which is bridging a generational gap between andy and i and the kids because it's you know we appreciate it on the level of like oh man this hits on a lot of notes for us from the 80s and the kids are like oh this is a cool you know showing kids resolving conflict with this big evil thing and being able to be trusted to make their own choices and stuff. So it's hitting them on a different level than us. But right. like I watched the movie It, the old one, with Kat a couple weeks ago. 
And the first thing she said when she saw the intro, she's like, oh, well, this has a definite Stranger Things vibe. And I was like, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> no, <laughs> Stranger Things intentionally has like an old Stephen King miniseries vibe. Right. <laughs> but I think it made it more palatable to her because of that. Like it made retro new. So instead of seeming quite so cheesy, she was like, oh, yeah, yeah. It's going for the like that Stranger Things vibe. Like, no, it was that Stranger <laughs> Things vibe. But yeah, keep watching. There was an absolutely heartbreaking thing. Maybe it was the first day of elementary school that you had Josh dress up and it didn't go well. Oh, yeah. That was for the 100th day of school. Okay. The way you wrote about it, my heart absolutely broke. How did that end up resolving? And what did you learn from that? And when I look back on it, it was kind of a pivotal moment. Um, the kids were told to dress up for the 100th day of school as 100 year olds. And I'm really into practical effects for makeup and stuff. So of course, I went like all out for him where I gave him like the deep wrinkles and we spray painted his hair white and I got him like a little old man outfit. And um, he had asked me before he's like people won't laugh at me for this right because of the four of us he's definitely the most conservative on that he doesn't want to be a spectacle you know yeah. whereas the other three of us are kind of like yeah whatever you know i'll oh, be yeah. <laughs> david bowie or i'll wear a yoda onesie to see star wars whatever for him he didn't want it to be the butt of the joke and on the way home some, he heard some kids laughing about it and it just made me feel so wounded as a parent so i said no of course they won't kids aren't mean people aren't bad you know, and then to find out, well, sometimes people will say things that will still hurt you. And it attacked on that pageantry that we've really embraced as a family of like leaning into being creative and expressive and all that. And the next year he ended up dressing up for all the days and he decided he's like, you know, he leaned into being more of like a, a class clown where he could really control the jokes, mm -hmm. which probably is a comedian you can understand. I yeah. think that's a defense mechanism a lot of us develop where it's like, instead of making them laugh at me, I'm going to find out how to just be funny instead. So right. he did that. And so now he's going around with bright blue hair where he has decided <laughs> that he's totally fine controlling the show. Right. The really pivotal moment of all of that was I kept trying to get through to him on it. And I couldn't, I just couldn't like as, as good of a parent as you can be. There are going to be times when you don't have the words to reach them. And I went back into my bedroom to cry because it was just one of those things that hurt me so deeply that I had steered him wrong in this. And I heard his sister, my daughter, Catherine, come up to him and say, here's the thing, man, like, Whenever you do something awesome, somebody's going to make fun of you for being awesome because what they're really saying is they recognize that they can't be awesome too. But you don't let that stop you from, be from being awesome. You just do more awesome things and say, yeah, that's right, man. This is me still here being awesome. And it was just this like really weird kid way to put it. And it yeah. wasn't the most eloquent, but he stopped being upset. And he's like, yeah. And she's like, yeah, just keep being awesome. And I, as an adult, have thought about that for years since then, where, like, if somebody is being mean to me for doing something that is, you know, very much myself, I say, I'm not going to stop being awesome just because you can't be awesome, too. <laughs> I'm going to keep being awesome, to quote my nine-year-old, you know? Yeah. That's one of those DJ Dangler-isms, too, where he'll end a lot of phone calls with me by saying, love you, buddy, keep being awesome, and... It stuck with me where sometimes if I'm in a particularly good mood when I'm recording the outro of the truth cast, I end with telling the listeners to keep being awesome. And yeah, it isn't the most eloquent way of saying something, but I like it. Like out of all the all the fancy words I threw at him that day, none of them made it better. It was this very simple way of saying it. 
that got through to him. So it was one of those things where it kind of brought home that you don't need to always have pretty words. You just need to have honest ones. And she had yeah. really honest words that time. And what she's into, because you did mention both of them, and yeah. I kind of just was like, Josh, Josh, Josh. Um, <laughs> she's gravitated so much towards theater and musicals. So we found out that they were making a movie of my least favorite musical ever cats. <laughs> and so we were like giddy about seeing how awful this would be. We counted it down for six months and we wore cat ears to the theater. Like we were psyched <laughs> to go see it and it was everything I expected. And so that has become like one of her favorite movies. Cause it's just bizarre it's just bizarre so she watches that and then the original theatrical version with tim curry in it tim curry's in the original theatrical cast. i know right yeah I that's why that. actually that's why i had her watch it because i was like all right you need to understand what this man actually is because he's right. not this gyrating cat but <laughs> he's great in uh the original annie yes he is yep and we have seen that um i love tim curry i do too you know my First, like they always say, you can tell a lot about a person from like how they identify Tim Curry. And for me, he was in an old British show called The Worst Witch. He okay. was the Grand Hyde Wizard. <laughs> and it's one of those things like that's nobody else's association with Tim Curry. But that's how I grew up knowing Tim Curry. <laughs> Thank you so much for talking to me. I know now that we've had this conversation on microphone, we're going to have many conversations off microphone as I try to navigate this parenting thing. And Allison was very excited, too, when I told her, as I try to regroup of what this podcast is going to be, you're one of the first people I, I wanted to talk to because we both agree that you just have so much wisdom. I know these are compliments and your skin is crawling right now. With them. <laughs> Stop saying nice things. <laughs> but I really appreciate that. Thank you. And I know you guys are instinctually going to be really good parents. Just listen to what you feel like you should be doing. And I'm sure it's the right thing. And I've really enjoyed this podcast. I know you said before, you didn't know if I've been listening to it, but I have, I, you know, oh I really liked listening to your mom. That was a really cute one. Yeah. My mom was great. <laughs> yeah. And then um, also Sam, because Sam had such an unusual childhood. Oh, it's geez. always funny to hear, you know, where it takes me a half a second to figure out, like, if I'm supposed to laugh at a story or want to give her a hug. Sam is just one of those really wonderful, wonderful human beings where you're like, oh, my gosh, I love you. You're like, you found your way through all this crazy stuff and you became this exceptional person. So, yeah, she really is. And as yeah. are you and Thank Allison you. and I love you and Andy so much. And we love you back. You know, having Andy stand up in our wedding was so important to me and having you guys there and at our combined bachelor bachelorette party because Allison and I have codependency issues and couldn't <laughs> have separate parties. The thing that makes Michigan home to us is the great friends that we have here. And I can't wait until the quarantine's over and you guys can meet Benji. And I know we want to go give him hugs. You guys are great. And uh, I'm so lucky too. that I've gotten to have you in my life for 21 years and Andy for probably 23 years, I think. <laughs> Time has no meaning. It's fine. It really doesn't. Well, thank you very much for all the kind words. We appreciate it. And we love you guys back. Well, keep being awesome.